0: Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm joined today by Greg. Hello! And we are going to be discussing the good, the bad, and the ugly of dungeon Crawler games. That's right. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so... Uh, last week, you may have seen on our—or well, two weeks ago now—you uh, may have seen on our stream that we played some more Seafall.
1: Yeah, we finally got it back to table. Uh, it had been what two months,
0: right? We yeah, determined. because we we had a hiatus of one uh, one month because we had people getting sick and all that kind of stuff. So things happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, but uh, everybody was was uh, feeling well and rested today, so we all sort of sat down and dived back into. The game uh I think it was very eventful.
0: It was uh, definitely very eventful. We, there was a uh, lot of salt being thrown around.
1: A lot of salt, some uh Mr. Salties being thrown around which yep, I literally. I actually do feel the need to apologize for. I did not conduct myself in a very honorable fashion. And uh he I did hit, not
0: He hit the winner with the mil- Mr. Saltie. I did
1: not mean for that to even leave my hand. I was mock throwing it and I I your apartment is always very hot and humid so I was quite sweaty. But yeah, so it was it was an interesting game. You know, you guys sort of stuck to your exploration. Anna and I stuck to our sort of commercial mm-hmm. aspects of things. But I am no longer the only person with a colony.
0: Yeah, so Is that's exciting. Three different people who have colonies: you, Anna, and Nick. Nick. Yes, yeah.
1: I have three. They have one each, which directly led to mm-hmm. uh, the action that sort of, I would say, was the single biggest thing that happened in the game, which, would you care to do the
0: honors? Well, I finally explored the, like... The charts. And also, spoiler warning for anyone who ha- who is unaware of things in Seafall and still wants to leave the game unspoiled. Oh yeah, close your ears. But yeah, I finally like explored like this uh, this ancient sea chart, and we find the Emperor of the Seas or the Pirate King, as he is called.
1: Yes, this vaunted pirate king who's been mm-hmm. raiding our shit for like three games. Yep. We finally
0: found him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like us no no he doesn't think that we're legitimate people and like he is the one who owns all of the sea and all things like that
1: right he doesn't like that we're colonizing aka subjugating his people which i mean yeah that's fair mhm
0: it's fair but it was it was cool because like that also like started like colony raiding and like different parts of the um there are a lot of different things that have come up because of that.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. there's new advisors uh, that are are more powerful, and they actually give you points when you mm-hmm. acquire them. There's, uh, as you mentioned, colony raiding, much to my chagrin. And there's just a lot of new sort of dangers, I feel like, that have been introduced. Um, I think oh, that's, yeah. that's probably the best way to describe the new types of content is that they're all very dangerous.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on and, uh, like, the islands and everything like that. And I'm curious just to see how, how everything is going to go from here on because, I mean, I'm still going full-fledged fred- on to exploring. And now that we've also got, like, some um, portals and things like that to help things actually move, move along rather than having to slog through and go all the way, like, you know, around. Mm-hmm yeah that should help so i'm interested to see how it all starts to work together and what are like some of the empty sea spaces gonna like come up and give us and like the new events that come up which can wreck our shit quite a bit yeah so i'm, I'm curious to see what, what happens i'm still sticking to my thing which is just i'm gonna go and explore and not give a shit about anything else that's legit and so i'm i doubt i'm gonna have a single colony in this entire game I'm probably not. I mean,
1: you don't need to. Like, it it is a path to victory, and if you know, Seafall has been really good at one thing. It's that as long as there's a milestone on the board for your particular path, mm-hmm. you you stand a decent chance of winning. So,
0: yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious to see how how it all works out. But again, Seafall is just not really my cup of tea.
1: Right. Yeah. It's it's difficult, I think, to calibrate. A competitive legacy game yeah. Uh, and I think this is really since none of us played Risk Legacy this is the first time we're running into those design challenges so there's some issues there. I am going to be excited to see what happens in the end, who wins the campaign overall, sort of what happens along the way, whether or not someone does get to a point where they're just winning every single game Mm because we have actually managed to avoid that
0: um, oh yeah, no, had, not only have we managed to avoid that, but I think who's in the lead right now is it still Anna?
1: Yes. Anna is still in the... no, Will. Will
0: is Will in the is lead. Will is now
1: the prince and I'm the second. Yeah, you're second. So there's been there's been lots of juggling and also everyone has claimed at least two milestones. Yeah. Which is is great considering that only I think like 11 milestones have been claimed yeah. total. So, I think so far the game has done actually a decent job of sort of ensuring that everyone has equal access. It just hasn't felt like it sometimes yeah. because individual games can still be blowouts. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see. I'm going to withhold uh, at least out loud judgment mm-hmm. uh, until the conclusion of the campaign, and
0: we'll see uh, where we end up. Makes sense. Makes sense. We also played uh, on stream some Gloomhaven. Yeah, and that's one that I'm a little bit more excited about. Yeah, <laughs> I've been really enjoying it. I think uh, I'm looking forward to seeing like, whether or not we're going to be able to actually retire my character in in the decently near future.
1: Yeah, we're um, sort of on that path right now.
0: Yeah, so like that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty interesting. The last scenario was was very fascinating because we were separated like completely. So I had to be on my own. I was a little squishy on my own yeah. and it was not good because I also caused us to lose. But, uh, um, well, only the first time, only the first time, the second time we we won, but, and we just blitzed it, but it was just one of those where it was just like, this is interesting. This is new. I'm usually just the one in the back who's just like, all right, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to put like this trap out. I'm going to do this. But this time I was just like, uh-oh, I've got to run through this entire nest and swarm of different things. And oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, it was definitely unconventional. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I enjoyed it. I like, you know, probably 85% of the missions that we've played so far have been, you know, kill all the things. which is fine you know it's it's a good dungeon crawl game to stay on -hmm. on theme today but it is nice when you can have something that's a little different something that's a little bit more uh, unique and really makes you think in different strategic ways like this one did you know the fact that we weren't together that we couldn't do anything in any way to support one another really made you think about okay how can my character operate independently so i I slotted cards into my deck as the scoundrel that I had never used to that point. You mm-hmm. know, I added my invisibility to my deck. I took out all the cards that interacted with flanking. Like, there were just different choices that you had to make, and I think it was it was interesting. So I'm excited to see more unconventional, I suppose, uh, scenarios.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to that as well, and just seeing like how all this goes. And I'm also really curious as to see what comes out of this in terms of what character comes up. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have, like, some kind of crazy Cthulhu-esque, like, thing yeah. of some sort.
1: All signs from the step of the quest chain that we've done so far point to some sort of, like, sinister necromancer fell energy thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that'll be interesting. We'll we'll see what you end up with. And, yeah. I mean, obviously, just because your character retires doesn't mean you have to roll the character that you've unlocked.
0: True, true. I could always just reroll another tinkerer if I wanted to. It's true. But i don't know I'm, I'm looking forward to trying something else i think unlike the two of you i haven't really f- uh, found any of the classes that i actually really really enjoy mm-hmm. i like think i've been all right with the thinker um and i, and I didn't like the mind thief the or... mind thief so like it'll be interesting yeah it, uh, i think that uh, i'm i'm looking forward to trying to get uh, something else and giving that a try so
1: well there you go keep an eye out for uh you know, us to complete that particular quest chain in the near future and try out a new character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Besides the games that we played on stream, I did have uh, one quick opportunity to sit down for a game of Mystic Veil. Always great. Um, I don't have any of the expansions. My my version of the game just includes the base game. So missing out on a lot of the more, you know, sort of spectacular features, uh, but even just the base game is very solidly designed. So lots of good card crafting goodness. I managed to win... Pretty handily, I just was able to get lots of growth and lots of decay elimination. So not growth, but like living seeds and yeah. uh, seedlings and stuff that can effectively negate decay in the same way that growth can, but through slightly different mechanisms. So I was able to just have you know monster hands and I was able to leverage that into cards that had decay, but gave me points. You know, because I had sort of that, that barrier there, so I was able to just rush down the end of the game. But, um, you know, it's, it's a quick game. It's a fun game. So I'm always happy to get that to table.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's one that I really want to get back to table because I haven't played in a while. And hopefully we'll do that sometime soon.
1: Well, and we gotta um, we got to get five or six people who are down for it so that we can play with... Is it Conclave? Is yeah. that the name? That's the name of the rules in which there's day and night cycle?
0: uh no i I forget the the exact name of that rule
1: i know that's one of the variants that it added is that basically you've got two different Mm
0: -hmm.
1: pools from which to purchase Mm -hmm. Uh, but each of you has a like a token that indicates that you can only purchase from this particular side on any given turn so it it sort of makes the game slower because it requires you to sort of draw from different pools and think about different types of things but also it enables the, the five and six player variants. So mm. definitely looking forward to that.
0: And I'm also looking forward to the, the other expansion that I got that like adds a lot of like the negative points and that kind of mm. stuff. Right, right, right. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to trying that out and seeing how that all works. Yep. So there you have it. That's a quick look at what we've been playing. So here we go! The good, the
1: bad, and the ugly of dungeon crawlers. This is a format that we sort of pioneered a little while back when we were talking about some of the detriments of one of our favorite types of games, uh, co-op games, and we decided to expand on that and take a look at not just what was bad, but some of what was good and, and what we liked and didn't like about some of our favorite game types. So today, we're taking a look at Dungeon Crawlers. We've been playing a lot of these lately. Um, Massive Darkness falls into this category, Gloomhaven falls into this category. So we felt
0: like it was fairly appropriate. So we really want to take a look at pretty much how, like some of the really good things about Dungeon Crawlers. Um, and that's just, you know, things that we think are, in our opinion, of course, just good about them. The bad things, which are, I think, more mechanics, and this is what we're the way that we're distinguishing this, is that uh, the bad is mechanically, in terms of the gameplay, what we think is something that is wrong or like is not as good as it should be. And then we have ugly. Now, ugly is, I think, the parts of the game that really aren't really like you know you know the kind of thing that you look at a game and you're like oh this rule set is something that i don't like or this type of game is something i don't like it's more like oh i'd be interested in playing this game but then these kinds of behaviors emerge because of it right and that's the part that like is the ugly i think it's more like the emergent behavior versus the um inherent rules things that about about the games
1: yeah Exactly. So those are sort of the the guidelines that we're going to be using as we go through this process. Also might be helpful to define what we're imagining as a dungeon crawler. So typically, a dungeon crawler is going to be a game where a group of players take control of individual characters and attempt to move through and accomplish specific objectives, mostly related to killing large numbers of opponents. That might not be the primary objective, but that's certainly something that you're going to be doing along the way. You can compare this to so-called kick-in-the-door style of RPG
0: gameplay, which is going to be the first thing that we talk about, because I think that that's where a lot of these games really excel. So uh, the games, first off, that we're talking about is games, things like Massive Darkness, Dark Souls, Zombicide, uh, Descent, Imperial Assault, all these types of games, and... One of the things that I think is really good about them is that they are like RPG light. So yeah, perfect. Term. In in RPGs, I don't really usually like doing the dungeon crawls It doesn't give you as much flavor and that kind of stuff. I, I like the monster of the week type of things, but I don't like, you know, just like these the inane, like where I'm going to be going and that kind of stuff. And that's why I like these games, because these games give me that experience, but without having the whole, you know, create a character and really get into the role-playing. Like you have a little bit of role-playing, but it makes it a lot more fun and a lot less tedious.
1: Right. You're jumping right into the action. You know, you don't have to worry about huge amounts of startup time. There's some, particularly in a game like Gloomhaven or Massive Darkness, you know, there's some character creation that you have to, you know, pick your combination of of cards or pick your combination of class and character but it's very very minimal you're just going to be jumping right into it but it still preserves that kind of rules turn oriented okay i'm going to do this and i'm going to defeat these enemies and it keeps some of the progression aspects as well you know your character is going to level up in a very truncated way that emphasizes you know large power spikes and sort of minimizes you know Oh, you gain a plus one bonus here, a plus one bonus there. No, it's like, yeah, you can make an entire extra attack, like yeah. increasing your damage output by 30% or something, you know. So it's it's much more geared towards a fast-paced, rapid rewards style of gameplay, yeah. um, which, you know, isn't necessarily the only thing that you want from an RPG, but it is something that people frequently enjoy, and this is a much more self-contained way to capture that.
0: Yeah, I I feel like almost that uh, Dungeon Crawler board games make that type of gameplay in RPGs almost obsolete. Uh, I much prefer, if I'm going to do any kind of, like, you know, strictly battle kind of thing, I love the the progression, the crunchiness of, of Massive Darkness, because, like, I can just go through and, you know, get all these skills, like as they, as we go along and, uh, you know, using something that's not, you know, micro XP, um, (laughs) we will be able to like, you know, go all the way to like level four, level five skills and like have all these different things that are happening in this like dungeon crawl, which would be a lot more tedious, a lot longer, much more long-winded and with a lot more investment in terms of an RPG where I would rather be going to town or like you know the social situations all things like that
1: Mm -hmm. and so that's sort of you know one element of dungeon crawls is that they take some of the not the best elements of rpgs but certainly one of the most exciting elements of rpgs and condenses it and that holds true when compared to other board games as well you know Mm -hmm. uh, dungeon crawls have a lot of sort of built-in excitement generating moments you know they're the okay if i can just land this hit then we'll clear the final room or, you know, oh, we've seen before on the uh, on the stream. If I can just tank this one yeah. incoming massive zombie attack, we'll um, we'll
0: survive, we'll survive and we'll, we'll win. win.
1: So, you know, there's because of the way that they generally work with you versus large numbers of enemies or you versus very elite forces. You get that adrenaline pumping, you know, you get that intensity, that excitement uh, in a very effective way delivery mechanism
0: yeah and i think that this is enhanced by the fact that these are usually at least mostly co-op games so you are working together so it's like there's a lot of that whole like you know i can do this and i can do this oh we can combine these two to take out this like huge creature right now because like we have such really cool abilities that work together and so it it really is an exciting type of game Mm -hmm. and you know you're chucking dice you're doing other things like that that like you know it's like will we be able to do it will we be able to survive and then i'm i'm rolling dice so no we're not (laughs) we're going to die um but yeah no it it really is a lot more it's extremely exciting like we've had so many tense situations where it's just like it's about like you know it's so close it's so close we're we're like you know we're gonna win if we do this but if we like you know do one thing off we're gonna lose and so it keeps you on the on the edge of your seat, I think, for most of the gameplay, if it's done correctly. Right. Yeah.
1: But another thing that's really great about a lot of dungeon crawlers is that they tend to include some pretty impressive miniatures. Yep. So you know, this is one of those sort of icing on the cake situations. If a person doesn't like miniatures, chances are it's not going to make or break their opinion of a game. But there's people who go real hard on that. You mm-hmm. know, painting and customizing and. Hi,
0: Jason. Hi, Hunter.
1: Yeah. Exactly dungeon crawlers tend to offer those opportunities you know you're looking at the types of miniatures that you can get in you know your gloom havens or your massive darkness or your dark Mm souls dark souls no but so those can really add to your enjoyment of them when you can take the bones of this game and turn it into your own you can customize it you can make it feel like something that you're really truly not just playing but creating almost
0: yeah exactly and i mean It can be a lot of fun to paint all the miniatures, to just have those. And they're also just nice to have around.
1: Right, totally.
0: For other RPGs and things. Super useful. But this is also uh, a perfect segue to the bad. And with the miniatures comes the price. Cha-ching! And these games can be extremely expensive. Most of the base games are at least $70, if not more. And if you're trying to collect everything and you'll be spending upwards of three or four hundred dollars on uh, on the different either Kickstarter exclusives or like getting collecting everything because you, you ended up liking the game and things like that, it's an investment. I mean, if you like this type of game, it probably makes sense, but it's that kind of thing where if you're not fully sold on it, you might, end up, like, not being able to get everything because you're not dropping all the money kind of thing. Right. Um, You need to have that one friend who collects all the stuff.
1: Right. And they're definitely the type of game that lends themselves to, you know, air quotes, expansions that are really more content packs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, new classes, new characters, new enemy types, which are, don't get me wrong, interesting additions to the game. And some of them might even be, like, the best in their respective category but the fact that there you know there's so many of them they're each released in separate boxes and you have to acquire them like it's just it adds up and it's a lot for people who are maybe just looking for more of a I want to buy this game and then play this game that you know that's not something that you should have a problem doing that you sometimes do with
0: dungeon crawlers yeah i mean most of the stuff is extra and you can still have use just the base game for most of the things but at the same time there are only so many scenarios they can pack back into the uh, the base so.
1: right uh one other thing that is sort of uh detriment a bad about one of the other things that can be detriment can be bad about dungeon crawlers is that there tends to be a lot of repetition in terms of uh, the types of mechanics that you're seeing in terms of the types of themes in particular high fantasy is like the go-to theme, you know. Dark Souls maybe gets a little bit of a pass on this simply because it's an existing IP, but you know, Dark Souls, Massive Darkness, Zombicide from the same publisher as Massive Darkness, Gloomhaven. You know, high fantasy is really where these descent is where these games live and then occasionally you find other ones like Space Cadets Away Mission or Star Wars Imperial Assault that are more of a sci-fi theme, but it's it's always sort of one of those two categories and there's not a lot of room to do much different with that mechanically you know you've got move and attack move and attack you know you've got there's only so many ways that you can partition a board you know you've got zones or squares or whatever it is there's only so much that you can do with that and you know that's kind of just a limitation of the format there are some games that are i might call dungeon crawler-esque which are doing some interesting Mm -hmm. things you know i'm thinking particularly of vast which plays very much like a dungeon crawler if you're the knight, but very differently maybe if you're the goblins. Or so there's some innovation there. Betrayal at the House on the Hill has elements of a dungeon crawler, you know, in that you're literally sometimes crawling through <laughs> this this mansion, this haunted mansion. But uh, and you know it turns into the sort of one versus many that Descent or Imperial Assault have. But it's also doing some slightly different things. So there's some potential there, but a lot of these do tend to be very You know, if you've seen one, you've seen them all type of things.
0: For sure. For sure. Another thing is something that is the bane of my existence is that these are really, really chance based. Yeah, they tend to be. And uh, as our listeners probably know by now, I do not do very well with uh, die rolls. (laughs) You don't say. Yeah. So that's one of the things that really gets under my skin but it's not just the dice. So, like, you've got the dice, and pretty much all of the dungeon callers are predicated on the dice. When it's refined correctly, it can be mitigated quite well. But at the same time, it can still be you know, you could still roll nothing on every single one of your dice, even if you ro- roll every die in the game. Right. I think where it gets even worse is in the items and this also depends on the game but games like zombicide and uh dark souls especially they have a lot of issues with the randomization of the items
1: right yeah there's no clear progression from you know early to mid to late game items so maybe you luck into a great sword on your very first search or maybe you don't find one until maybe you never find one Yeah. You know, which you don't need one necessarily, but that sort of inconsistency when you're looking at the types of boosts and benefits that you can gain uh, really makes it difficult to, you know, have any sort of plan or consistent approach to the game.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so it's, it, it can be very difficult to, like, go through and, like, be the person who's stuck, like, with your beginner sword because you literally couldn't find anything else. Or, like, you know, die because you weren't able to get any armor that was better than what. You started off with yeah and unless you mitigate that i think that that can be a really really big downside
1: yeah definitely agree uh one other thing at least in terms of you know the bad these games tend to run into what i'm going to call the civilization problem that Mm -hmm. being the sid Meier's civilization video game uh which is that unless you're playing the one versus many variants something like descent or imperial assault higher levels of difficulty don't mean smarter enemies. They're still following basically the same flowcharts. They're just more powerful. They're just more broken in some cases, as opposed to actually forcing you into sort of new tactics or new ways of approaching the game. They're just punishingly difficult, which, as we've seen with Zombicide, can sometimes scale out of hand. You can overcorrect. And it can be very difficult to sort of dial in that difficulty setting from a from a designer perspective it's difficult to strike a balance between okay well what's too easy and what's too difficult
0: and i think that that's exasperated by the fact that you have so many of these different heroes and things like that and each of them has a different ability and trying to balance all of these is next to impossible right so like you could have someone who is just extremely overpowered and just blows through everything and once you don't have that one person, now like you know, you calibrated to that level, and now you're screwed. Right, exactly.
1: Couple of drawbacks. I mean, all of these are things that you are aware of going into it. You know, you can read a review, you can look at a list of the mechanics on BGG. You can be aware of them, which is why we've sort of classified them as uh, the bad, mm-hmm. the ugly. As we mentioned, these are more things that tend to emerge throughout gameplay and really focus on interpersonal stuff, negative behaviors, and things that are not just going to make you not want to play the game again, but maybe not want to play games with those people again. Yeah. So the the big one here is quarterbacking.
0: Yep. This is one that we've run into a few times, and uh, we talked about it as the, one of the biggest detriments of uh, cooperative games. And this is totally at play here. Because, well, everything's out on the board. Yeah. You see where people are. You know people's abilities because there aren't that many. And so you can look at it and think that you have the optimal move. Uh, there are no hidden objectives. There are no secret other things that people might be going for. No, it's just everyone wants to finish this one objective. And so that is just right for someone who wants a quarterback or like, you know, overrule someone else's idea or something like that. Like That's just something that has happened in even our group, and we're pretty decent at not doing that for the most part.
1: Right. And a lot of this gets down to sort of who the players are and what the circumstances are. You know, this is these types of games are something that you're going to want to be very careful with if you have had a long day if you're just feeling very frazzled, if your patience is thin, um, because you're going to come into the game from a place of not being ready to respect the other players. And not in terms of a like, I hate you, get out, but just respecting their their ability to make decisions for their own characters and Mm. also trusting that they are going to respect your desire to finish the game in a timely fashion and to make decisions that are optimal. You have to really be willing to trust that the other players at the table are going to gonna do that. And sometimes, some days, some groups have trouble with that. And so this, this is definitely a game type because of the sort of high adrenaline, high stress stakes where those moments, uh, those sort of flashpoints, you might call them, can come to the foreground.
0: For sure. And then on top of that, actually going off of it is that sometimes this kind of behavior and this type of mentality towards these games, especially if anyone is, is really trying to optimize, will create pigeonholing in terms of uh, characters, right. So you will you know pick up a class that's more support rather than upfront kind of battle, and that's all you're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some games where this is egregious, like Dark Souls, for example was absolutely horrible with this where it was like i was playing a support class and i usually enjoy support classes i think that it's it's all very enjoyable it's fun to just keep other people alive fuel their crazy abilities but in dark souls it was just like that's all i could do and like i couldn't even do it very well was the problem so i think that in general like that can be a big issue and especially like you know this is what you find in a lot of these kinds of games. Like, I'm even comparing this to Overwatch. Like, everyone always <laughs> needs healing. Like, I mean, yeah. that that's just how this works. You've got like a team game when every, where everyone is a specific character, and you have like maybe not exactly a role to play, but your character is very good at something, so you're going to be expected to do that. And that can be frustrating if you're trying to, you know, branch out or you have some really cool thing that you would like to try out or something like that. So it is also something to be careful of.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then as a final note for, for the ugly category, this is less of an issue with the players versus AI games simply because if you're losing, you're sort of there's a sense of solidarity there. But in the one versus many types of games, If one side just completely steamrolls the other, you know, that kind of that just takes the fun out of it for whichever side gets totally screwed, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, is an aspect of the game that can happen. You know, maybe you just say better luck next time. But, you know, a lot of these games are fairly long. Yeah, You know, they take a lot to set up. They take a lot of time to play. And so if, you know, by the time you've gone through all this setup, by the time you've prepared mentally, you get into it, and then just from the starting gun, you're getting totally, like, smacked around by either the the player controlling all the enemies or vice versa. Like, y- your enthusiasm is just gone instantly. Yeah. So um, that's that's definitely a danger with these types of games, um, and I think that it's, it's something that happens relatively infrequently, so I don't want to say that it is going to sap your enthusiasm for the game as a whole, but I definitely think it can leave a, a bad taste in your mouth, which isn't what you want when you sit down to play a board game.
0: Exactly. It's like if you played D&D or something like that when the DM is really just out to kill you. That's right. not fun for anyone.
1: Yeah. What's that like?
0: Anyway. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, so there there is a, a brief look at what we think are some of the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects of the dungeon crawler genre. If you have other ideas, if you think we maybe mischaracterized some of these games, or if you think there's an aspect of them that we didn't touch on, jump into the comments, Uh, you know, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you uh, and hear your thoughts or proposals for the next Good, Bad and the Ugly.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like our podcast, don't forget to head on over to our YouTube channel where we've got great video content as well, including brand new Board Game Bistro. This time we're talking about Illimat. Uh, Very fantastic, very fun, very unique game. Uh, And if you want to find out how to play it, you can check out that Board Game Bistro video on our YouTube channel. Also, we say it all the time. You know, we love soliciting feedback, but it's not enough to say it. we got to show it, too. So if you uh, give us a rating, give us a comment on... You know, iTunes, Google Play Music, wherever it is that you listen to our stuff, consume our content, leave us a message and we're going to start reading some of those off here during this outro segment so you could have your comment featured on the next episode of the podcast, which we hope you'll join us for because it's a review.